The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. I praise the Lord for this um, opportunity uh, to be able to minister uh, to each one today. If you notice, uh, Pastor and uh, his family not here, um, and um, they, they were on a much-needed rest. As a minister of the gospel, there are times you really need to rest so that when, they, when you come back, then you have that, that strength, the renewed strength to serve and to minister to God's people. Okay, um, praise the Lord. Um, Brother Jonathan uh, read the whole chapter. And that will be the, the text that we're going to uh, focus this morning. Um, but before we uh, delve in into our message today, let's pause for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, the great and faithful one, thank you that we can gather here today and be able to focus our attention to the study of thy word. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that had ministered to us today and how it taught us to be faithful and how it encouraged us to remain faithful. Even, Lord, things aren't going our way. And Father... May our study of Daniel draw us to you and to reflect on your goodness, which we will see in this chapter. May you bless your servant today. Your servant acknowledges that apart from you, he is nothing. And that wisdom and understanding comes from you. I also ask and, and plead before you that may you bless your people today. Each one has their unique um, trials that they face, but I pray, Father, may this passage be an encouragement to them. And for those who, have, who are here who have not Trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, I pray that may the study today will draw them to Christ and place their faith in Him. In your Son's name, amen. Now, in the classic book written by John Bunyan, the Pilgrim's Progress. We learn about the main character whose name is Christian. Now, Christian is a poor, tattered man who flees his home place in the city called Destruction. Christian convinced that God would destroy the city because of its sin and wickedness, set himself on a pilgrimage toward the celestial city. Now, during the pilgrimage, he received salvation and was set free of the burden he was carrying on his back. 
Christian went through a lot on his pilgrimage, well, starting with a heartbreaking departure from his home without his wife and children who would not go with him and leave the city. Now, aside from his neighbors mocking him, Christian met many interesting characters he encountered along the way. Some encouraged him, taught him, and strengthened him. But others lured him and caused him to almost not continue his pilgrimage. Now, one of my favorite characters in the book whom Christian met was another pilgrim named Faithful. Faithful is also a townsman from the city of destruction. Now, both get along together. Now, while on their journey, Faithful looked back and saw someone approaching them. It was their friend, Evangelist. Their good friend, Evangelist, asked how they have fared in their journey, and in turn, they asked him what they may expect to meet up ahead. There will be tribulations, he answers, for tribulations mark the way to heaven. Now they would soon come to a town where enemies would attack them. One or both of them might be killed. But be you faithful unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life. Evangelist assures them. Afterward, Christian and faithful see before them a town they must enter because the holy way passes through it. It is an ancient town named Vanity Fair, where all year round such merchandise is bought and sold as houses, lands, trades, Places, honors, performance, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as wars, bouts, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. At all times, one can see jugglings, cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, rogues, and that of all sort, as well as, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, adulteries, false swearers, and that of a blood-red color. Entering the town, the two pilgrims caused quite a stare. Their dress is different from that of the townspeople. And they speak a language, the language of Canaan, that is not understood. They are plainly outlandish men and are put down as fools or bedlams or madmen. But what particularly irks the townspeople is their attitude toward the goods displayed at the fair. When, when called to look at them, they turn away, putting their fingers in their ears and crying out, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. 
When mockingly asked what they might be interested in buying, they gravely reply, we buy the truth. A crowd gathers to taunt and revile them, some calling upon others to smite them, which leads to a great hubbub and the arrest of the pilgrims for disturbing the peace. After being questioned, they are severely beaten and locked up in an iron cage to be made a spectacle to the multitude, being for some time the objects of any man's sport or malice or revenge. Now, pilgrim and faithful were strangers in Vanity Fair and were received with hostility. The text before us today, now similarly, Daniel and his friends were strangers in a foreign land. Not by choice, but as captives of the world's most powerful empire in his time, the Babylonians. Now, as we go to the context of this passage, Kindly look at verse 1 and verse 2. It says here, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. Now, those are two verses, but actually, it's a lot. Now this, if you remember the last, uh, when I spoke here and I uh, preached on Habakkuk, the conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk that God was preparing, or, or, or uh, to start with the conversation, Habakkuk um, presented the, his case before God. He presented, he says, Lord, these are the things that are happening in Judah right now. Idolatry, uh, oppression, and murders, and all this stuff. And what? Are you doing something, Lord? God said, I am preparing a nation. And these nation, this nation is the one that will be my vessel, my instrument for discipline to the people of Judah. And when Habakkuk discovered that it was the Babylonians, he said, Lord, how could you use a more wicked nation to discipline your people? And this is the fulfillment of it. Isaiah preached on it. Jeremiah gave its warning to the people of Judah. And in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, it's the fulfillment of that promise. This was also the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy to King Hezekiah. If you, if, if, you know, he's a king of Judah. Now what this king did was that there was a point in his reign that he showed the glory of Judah to Babylon. Babylon sent a, a, a delegation and it's really strange that um, Hezekiah um, showed the glory of Judah. When I say the glory of Judah, he showed everything 
everything. And so afterwards, Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, you know just what you did? Okay. Why did you have them see everything? And so Isaiah warned him that what he did will cost the kingdom. Now, Judah went through three dip deportations. The one here in Daniel chapter 1 was the first one. Many said it happened in 605 B.C. There's another deportation. Uh, uh, um, invasion at 597 B.C. And there, there's a third one, 586 B.C. Some said there's, an, there's a fourth one, it's 582, but, but those are the major uh, uh, siege that Bab, the, the, the empire of Babylon did to Judah. And on the third one, that was the, the time when they completely obliterated, destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and destroyed the city. Now, in verse 2, you notice it says here that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. So Nebuchadnezzar ransacked uh, uh, Jerusalem and took the temple vessels and brought it to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. Now one should be able to understand that in the ancient Near East, when an invading nation you know, conquers that, that uh, uh, defeating that nation that, that he conquered, one of the things that, that that nation does is take all the vessels of the temple of their God and bring it to their temple God. Because it brings or gives a clear message that my God is powerful than your God. More to that. Now, later. Now, another thing was that the mention of the land of Shinar. I hope that rings a bell, but because in Genesis chapter 11, the same piece of land was mentioned. Are you familiar with chapter 11, Genesis? The famous Tower of Babel. Remember Genesis, I'll read a couple here, verses, where the people were of one language, one mind, and of one purpose. Look at verse 1, chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
Let's build this city. Let's build this tower that will reach the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves. Now, we will not be surprised, especially after hearing the series from Pastor uh, and his preaching on Babylon. I want to make a name for myself. I want to reach the heavens. I don't want God to tell me what to do. Now, um, the land of Shinar basically is, for me, is a picture of an opposition to God. Opposition to God. Now, let's look at the second one, the conflict. In verse 3, this is verse 3 up to verse 7, uh, we have here the introduction of Daniel and his friends. Verse 3 says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So we have here the introduction of Daniel and his friends. And, and it's obvious, if you look at the text, that Daniel and his friends belong to a, what? We call it the cream of the crops. The royalty, the nobility. Not only that, they were handsome and good looking. Right? They were handsome here. It says here um, that... Uh, Youths without blemish. You know in Hebrew it says? Without blemish. Royal skin. Baby skin. Now one thing that we should notice here is that these are youths. Now, the commentators that I've read agreed um, that this time, this, this chapter, Daniel was, and his friends were probably on their, you know, they're 14 years old. They're young. And um, so they were good looking physically, and they were intelligent. Why? Because it says here that they were not only good in appearance, but skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Man, they're the cream of the crop. They're the, the best. Um, 
Now, there are things here that, that you as a captive, that we'll see, this is, actually, Scripture is giving us here, showing us here what a, a captive goes through. When it's taken and, and he, he's at the mercy of the king, his captor. Now, what are the challenges here that they faced? First was the change of location. Daniel and his friends were taken as captives to Babylon. Now listen, a change of location is often enough to change everything about the person. Why? Because the familiar is gone. Home, family, friends, and community. Now, I know with some of us here, but me speaking as an immigrant, coming from another country and coming here, there was, there was change. <laughs> but hopefully it's good, right? But we have, I have witnessed uh, uh, young people coming from another country and coming here. There was a complete change. There was a complete change. And just imagine they were young. They were taken captives and they were taken to a place unfamiliar. The second challenge that they were facing was now, not only the change of location, but the change in education. Okay, here. Um, it says here that uh, not only that they were assigned here, verse 5, of a daily portion, but they were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that education process that three years which is common to the ancient Near East um, that they will face the king. They will be presented before the king. Now Daniel and his friends were subject to learning the literature and the language of the Chaldeans from being educated in the law of God to the education of Babylon which is secular. Remember what you read shapes how you think and therefore changes you. Education is a powerful tool in shaping a generation, a nation. The great empires, including Babylon, know this to be true. In fact, this is the, also later on after Babylon, there was the Middle Persians and Greece. Are you familiar with Alexander the Great? Those were, those is, his purpose was to conquer the world, educate them, teach them the language, and teach them the religion and the culture. And the culture is called Hellenism. And that's why Hellenism was brought even until the time of Christ. You know how powerful Hellenism was? Hellenism even influenced Romans. 
knew this. They educate their subjects to share their worldviews, priorities, and ideas of what is right or wrong and what is acceptable or, or unacceptable. They set the standard for what the people should follow. This is nothing new in scriptures because God Himself commanded the people of Israel. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the great Shema, our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, that he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you with great and good cities uh, th that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery Teach them the law. Teach them the word. Because if we don't teach them the word, what comes? The alternative. We see it in our, we watch it in television. We hear it in the radio. We read it in the newspapers. We read it in the internet. That's why as believers, we are in conflict. Now, all of us, uh, you know, some of us has, have little children, right? And even with um, believers who are um, been educated um, you know, in, in schools, universities. Unfortunately, in, in churches where our little children grows up and then when they become teenagers, they, you know, they've been hearing the messages, the preachings, and then when they enter the universities, now, the, the deepness of the indoctrination we have goes as deep as even very young age. How are we in ministering to our young people? And even ourselves. We're not exempted. Now, another challenge that they face. Not only the change of location, not only the change in education, but the change in their names. The change in their names. Now, I, I think this does not apply to every one of you because you were born here. I was, uh, you know, I'm an immigrant, right? And, and so when I had um, 
you know, on my citizenship, <laughs> um, you know what was the question of the USCIS officer to me? After I studied this thick of a booklet, and then they only asked six questions, one of the questions was, who is the sitting president? I said, okay, I, I, I know the president, right, the name. But the other question she asked after I passed the test was that, would you like to change your name? I was taken aback at the question. But I said, my response was, I love my name. I don't want to change it. I do have a friend, when he became a citizen, he said, oh, this is my time to change my name. He changed his name. So anyway, this is another, you know. But Daniel and, their, and his friends, they had no choice. Their names were changed. You know that names in Scripture has its significance. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, enumerate all of them, but it has a great significance because it, it, it either describes how, what God has done or the events that took place. Remember, Isaac's name means what? Laughter? Why? Because Sarai, or Sarah laughed. Jesus Christ's name, Jesus, Jehovah, saves Joshua. And Christ, Christos, anointed one. Um, so their names were changed. Their names from Hebrew, or in Hebrew names, were changed to Babylonian. And listen, Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar. Bel, protect him. Who's Bel? Bel is one of the deities, the gods of the Babylonians. Hananiah. God has been gracious, was changed to Shadrach, the command of Aku. Aku is the second, um, um, you know, among the, the deities, the top deities of um, the Babylonians. Mishael, who is what God is, which is the idea that there is no God like the God of Israel, was changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. And Azariah, the Lord has helped, was changed to Abednego, the servant, the servant of Nebo, which is another deity, another god. Now the new name may cement a new loyalty in the place of an old one. Daniel, the captive, was given the name Belteshazzar, incorporating the name Bel, one of the gods of Babylon, Presumably to turn him from the God of his fathers to that of his captors. Wow. They were really having a complete overhaul of these youngsters. Now, there's another challenge. What is that? The change of diet. It says here that the king assigned them a daily portion of the food 
that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And so Daniel and his friends were given the privilege to eat the king's food. Now, if you take it another way, you'll say, whoa, wow, I'm going to eat what the king is eating? I'm going to enjoy the food that the king has been enjoying? Wow! What a privilege. But just imagine the conflict that Daniel and his three friends were going through. Will they give in? Or will they follow the call from God's word and withdraw the line? And that's why we go to the third one, which is the call in verse 8. This is actually the heart of the the, the passage. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so we have here that Daniel determined, the word there resolve also can be, it can be meant determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. And so it's interesting because there is that determination that he already set. And that the idea here that he would not defile himself, what's the word defile? can be also mean desecrated. What's the opposite for that? Consecrated. Recognize the fact that he is consecrated and he does not want to defile himself. Now I have here uh, S.R. Miller in his commentary, listen to this, uh, with regards to this verse. He said, at least two factors would have caused these religious Jews to be reluctant to eat the king's food. Because it's interesting that there's already the change of location, there's already the change in education, there's already a change in their names, but how come this fourth one, Daniel and his friends drew the line? According to Miller, First, he says, many of the foods eaten at the Babylonian court, which are like pork or horse, horse flesh, would have been unclean according to the law of Moses. I encourage you to read that, Leviticus 11 and also in Deuteronomy 14. But the whole uh, thing there was that, you know, God told them of the clean and unclean. And what's interesting was the last portion of that chapter which says, God said, be holy for I am holy. And so eating that, those foods would be unclean, either inherently or because they were not prepared properly. Okay? To eat such foods would have been a sin for an Israelite and would have rendered the individual ceremonially unclean before God. Second, the meat and wine would have been undesirable because a portion of it was 
at least on occasions, if not always, first offered sacrificially to the Babylonian gods before being sent to the king and was therefore associated with idolatrous worship. Although wine was not forbidden by the Jewish law, Daniel's aversion to drinking, it probably is to be explained by its use as a libation, a drink which is poured out to a pagan deity in these pagan rituals. And so partaking of this food would have been an indirect act of worshiping Babylonian deities. Therefore, Daniel refused to eat the king's food because of his religious conviction. He desired to remain faithful to his God. And he did. Now, uh, I intentionally skipped um, the... um, the important three words here in the in, 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 in the you know Daniel chapter one, and it was mentioned three times. Behind all the events that happened, look at verse um, verse two. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion. And verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in literature and wisdom. Because as they were going through these challenges and the conflict that they have with, with, with what they were facing, God, in His mercy, gave Daniel favor and compassion in the eyes of the chief of the eunuchs. Oh, maybe there's something in Daniel that really drew the, the, um, the chief of the eunuchs. But behind it was the God who is faithful. And so um, he approached the chief of the eunuchs and made a request. Okay? But look at here. Um, he says, Therefore he asked the chief, verse 8, of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head before the king. He says, Daniel, I like you. The problem is, my head is more important than you. He goes, let me tell you, in the ancient Near East um, uh, community, the king's words, or the king's word, is the law. And we have here, his, here in, the, in, in the book of Daniel, you will notice the char- what kind of character Nebuchadnezzar is. And so for the chief of the eunuchs, which is, who is Ashpenaz, said, he was like, you know, uh, Daniel, I know your concern. I, I, I hear you. But my life is more important 
My life is more important. It's interesting because even in the, in, in the culture at that time, if you're a captive, you couldn't even speak. But we see here the supernatural working of our God. Now, did that discourage Daniel? No. What happened? Look, um, Daniel said to the steward, verse 11, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned. So there's the steward, the assistant of the chief. So he couldn't go to the CEO. So who went, he went to the what? COO. The one who's assigned to them. And so he, he, he went to him and, and then proposed to the steward. And look at his proposal. He says, the name, Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, this passage is not an endorsement for being vegan. Let me be clear on that. The focus here is the challenges that this captive was facing. And when he will draw the line because he wants to be faithful to his God. Sometimes we just look at it and say, oh, he's just simply requesting to the series of, uh, 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 an alternative menu. No, it's not. He knew the risk because he wanted to obey God. So he went to the COO. You know, Daniel is actually a, a great example of what it is to be polite and tactful. And that he shows us believers how to disagree agreeably. Daniel approached the steward, steward and made the same request which was granted. He says, 10 days. Give us 10 days. Just give us vegetables. Actually, there's a lot of vegetables out there. You just can just pick it up in your garden. You know, it's not, it's not that uh, laborious for you, right? And just give us water to drink. Just take it from the well. I, I, we, we, give us 10 days. Please. You know, I don't know if you remember that little cat in Shrek. I'm sorry. I, you know when he looked at your eyes like that? And then finally you're going to melt? 
maybe the, the steward was like, when he, he saw Daniel, like, oh, okay. But no, God gave him favor. And so his request was granted. And you know what happened? We, we know what happened. We, we know the story, right? So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. Very specific 10 days. And so after 10 days, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So then the steward took all, you know, took away the food that was from the king and gave them what they were asking. Now actually, there's some miracle there. Ten days? You're better in appearance? And fatter? Ten days? And you only eat vegetables and water? That is not a normal thing because there's something supernatural about it. Daniel and his friends might have received criticism or ridicule or probably even called strange fools by their peers for not eating the king's food. Daniel and his three friends were captives and strangers in a foreign land and they could quickly give in to the pressure in Babylon and go on with their lives. However, Daniel and his three friends were determined to obey God regardless of the outcome. And, you know, the end it says here, that from verse 17 to verse 21, when they were presented before the king, there was no other youth that are better than Daniel and his three friends. In fact, says verse 17, as for this youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel was even separated. That Daniel had the ability to understand all visions and dreams, which will be key to the coming following chapters. And so the king spoke with them, verse 19. And so there's none like Daniel and his three friends. And they stood before the king. Even in verse 21, it says that Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. Talking about his, you know, that he witnessed um, the fall of Babylon and the coming of the new empire, the Medo-Persians. So they were strangers in a foreign land. But they were willing. I can say they were willing to give their lives for declining the king's food because of their desire to obey God. Their peers even said, you know, these guys are fools, right? Strange. But you know what? We, we even have a greater, we call the greater stranger. Who is he? His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left the glory and splendor of heaven he had with the Father. According to John, Christ, the Word of God, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Christ was indeed a stranger to this world, for the world did not know him. But this stranger lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he died. He was our spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For he is the one who was prophesied who would crush the head of the serpent as promised by God in the Garden of Eden. This stranger died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day. Have you noticed that even in his resurrection, there was a point where two disciples did not even recognize who Jesus was? The resurrected Savior? And we are also, as believers, you who have placed your trust in Christ Jesus our Lord, is also called the stranger. We are pilgrims of this world according to, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and then chapter 2. We are pilgrims and strangers in this world. And as strangers, there come a point in our lives, people around us, people we work with, our friends who, who, uh, who are not Christians will call us fools because we don't hold on to what The culture is teaching. You know, God is a faithful God and calls His children to be faithful. This faithful God fulfilled His promise of judgment to, G to Judah. This faithful God was at work even during the captivity. This faithful God supplied the needed grace and strength for Daniel to be determined not to defile himself and disobey his God. That if you read chapter 1, you'll notice that behind, in the life of Daniel, what was taking place, behind it, God. He's the hero. His son is the hero. And we follow him. We follow him no matter the cost. And you know what? If you continue to read chapter 2, chapter 3, especially chapter 3 of Daniel, you will see there how this faith, you can even see there how that in spite of, if God will not deliver us, remember, O king, we will not serve your God. How are we? It's really good, like, you know, we're here in, in our gathering. But the real challenge is when we go out from this building and we go in our work, in our neighborhood, with our friends. We hear a lot of stuff. We watch a lot of Things in the internet. My friends, brothers and sisters, there will come a point in our lives that we're going to draw the line. 
Because our world, our home is not in this world. You know that the hymn, as I close, there's a hymn that says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. If you're at home in this world, oh my, please come to God. Because if you are uncomfortable in this world, that's a good sign. I'll end up with this prayer. This is actually a song. The title is Make Me a Stranger and written by Mac Lynch. And hope we can ponder on, on this um, and as we wrap up the message. Make me a stranger on earth, dear Savior. Make me a stranger more like Thee. Help me keep my focus on heavenly treasures, not on earthly things may it be. Lord, I found myself loving earthly treasures, simple pleasures taking your place. Nothing can measure to heavenly treasures. Hearing well done and seeing your face. Lord, lead me onward as a pilgrim, bound for heaven, never to roam. Make me a stranger on earth, dear Savior, till I see my heavenly home. You know how, what happened to faithful and to Christian? They were in prison. They were tried unfairly. Faithful died, but he was carried by the chariots going to the celestial city. But Christian was able to escape and continued with his pilgrimage and a lot of challenges still to face. But at the end of that story, his prayer was answered because he wanted to see the king of the celestial city. That was heaven for him. That was his home. And may it be also our home in the very presence of the God who is faithful. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, Father, I, I just lift up to you, um, your people today. I know there are many challenges that each one is facing. But Lord, we know that you are a God who is faithful. That not only that you will give us the grace and the strength to face those challenges, but Father, you have given us the brethren to be able to receive and experience encouragement and prayers. So Father, I pray that we know that you are a God who is faithful and that you call us to be faithful even though in this world 
the people will mock us and will call us strange fools. Because we're not comfortable in this world. But we're looking forward to that home. with you in your presence. And Lord, while we're waiting for that, I pray that may you continue to encourage each one. And if there be among us that has not trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that may your Holy Spirit speak to them and draw them to Christ, your Son, in whose name we will serve forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.